So, uh, Satan is tempting our Lord in our passage. Satan is real. He's a real being. Uh, Not the man in red tights, as he's depicted. Uh, You see a lot of pictures of him in medieval history or medieval art with hoofs and uh, looking something like a goat with horns. None of that. He's, in fact, an angel and, from what we assume, a very magnificent angel. He's also, as our Lord says, evil to the core. There is no redeemable qualities in him. Jesus said uh, that he is a murderer and a liar and has always been so. He is trying to keep us weak and make us think we're strong. While we're at our weak points, he wants us to imagine that we're strong. And he calls that wisdom. And the world believes it. And the world calls it wisdom. As we'll see, God the Son came into the world to make us strong. And so, But notice, it's the same word that's used. Satan wants us to think we're strong. God wants us to be strong. And that strength is not of the same kind. And that's what we've got to realize. That if we're weak, and it turns out we are, if we're going to be made strong, that strength is not going to be of the same kind that mankind thinks he has. Which is all, it's all smoke and mirrors, because there's actually no such thing as human strength anywhere. Uh, And uh, we'll see that today. So, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1, and uh, let's begin with prayer and be thankful and grateful for God's word and for the wonderful insights that the Holy Spirit leads us to in his word. It's magnificent how much truth and um, not only observable truth, but poignant and important truth that are in a few sentences of scripture. Uh, like we'll, we're going to be here for a little bit and, and see that. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, we come before you as your humble students. We seek your wisdom in these passages and these sentences that you have recorded for us. Nobody was there to see our Lord be tempted by the devil, but you have shared it with us so that we can learn from him, our amazing and marvelous Savior, the Son of God who became a man and condescended to our being, to be a human and to allow himself to be tempted and tested by a creature whom he created to be to want to go through suffering as we do but even to a greater degree and therefore to suffer all that and to be tested in that way in such a low manner compared to divinity that uh, in your love father and in his love for us he has shown us the way to live and to be, so that we can, before we even see him face to face, can live in fellowship with him now. What a great gift. May we be humble again, Father, and and in thanksgiving, hear and learn your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, tomorrow we'll look at this leading into temptation becomes a sticky issue because we're to pray not to be led into temptation. And so we're going to iron that out as best we can. But today we're going to look at his hunger. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Now, hunger, especially after 40 days, uh, this baffles the mind. This, no human being could survive this. But yet, in whatever manner he does... And then, and only then, does the tempter come to him and say, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Um, and I read one commentary that said, In that part of the world, when the sun is just right, the rocks in the wilderness look a lot like bread. Uh, so, you know, for someone who's this hungry, uh, this is tempting, and of course. Now, we've looked at this, and... 
and in my conclusion about what really Satan is getting at here is he wants Jesus to question not that he is the Son of God, but the plan for the Son of God. You know, why would the Son of God be out here in the wilderness starving and uncomfortable and suffering? And Jesus' reply, as we know, is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. In every case in these temptations, he quotes Deuteronomy, and he quotes it exactly. And he answered and said, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I don't live by bread. And he showed us here, is what we looked at on Sunday, is that life is more than bread. There's something about human life that is far greater than bread, yeah. But you say, well, I'm on a no-carb diet. I don't eat bread. (laughs) It's famous. It's a popular thing now. But... It's really what bread refers to here is anything material that keeps us alive. Anything. It's bread, it's water, it's shelter, it's clothing, it's heat, meaning on on the cold months, air conditioning if you have it, um, everything. Everything that we need to survive. And we need it to survive. And that's why he says we don't live on bread alone. Greek word mono there. Alone. But we do live on every word, Genesis to Revelation, that comes out of God's mouth. All right. What we don't want to skip over here, and there's so much here, yeah. And that's why we've slowed down here, because as we get into the the bulk of Matthew, especially after the Sermon on the Mount, starting in chapter 8, we'll go a little more rapidly and see that these temptations uh, are manifested throughout his life. You can trace everything that he goes through in terms of testing back to this. And he's hungry in a weakened state. Was Jesus weak? (laughs) Right? You say immediately, we say, no, he wasn't weak. But I would submit to you uh, the picture of Jesus in Gethsemane where he is so stressed. And that's the word that's used. He is such inner turmoil that he prays that God would take this cup away from him. Uh, Weakness is a relative word. If you were an adult and and you couldn't pick up a thing that weighed one pound, I would say, wow, you're pretty weak. So I went to my physical therapist for my back, uh, lower back, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, he said, all right, we're going to look at your core strength. And so he had me do some things that would reveal a person's core strength. And he went, wow. And I was like, Wait a minute, wow could mean anything. And it wasn't good, no. I basically have a marshmallow center, kind of like a Malamar. Anyway, I'm working on it. But... Uh, <coughs> I don't have rock-hard abs yet, but I'm, I'm on my way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so strength is relative. If, you could, if, if, you couldn't, if you're a grown adult, you couldn't pick up 500 pounds. I say, well, that's okay. That's normal. Most people can't. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I think just being human, he's weak. And I, I mean, is it? A sin to be weak? Well, I hope not. So Jesus becomes hungry. He's in a weakened state, physically, mentally. And still, he defeats the ruler of the world. Because the word of God, understood and obeyed, is a power that is not dependent upon optimum physical and mental ability. If you had to be at your physical and mental best all the time in order to be a spiritual person, well, that would mean that your spiritual life would have to include a perfect diet, perfect, not perfect, but a good healthy exercise regimen, enough sleep, and, um, you know, eating the right foods, you'd have to be healthy, which is not a bad idea to do, but I don't see it in the Word of God. I think we should definitely take care of these bodies. But, um, you know, they ain't never going to be perfect. Especially, I mean, we all know as we age, you 
could do everything right, you're still going to have issues. So the Word of God understood and obeyed is a power not dependent upon optimum physical and mental ability. His weakened state shows that not all life is based on material energy. He's weak. <clears throat> See, it's Darwinianism that's survival of the fittest. That's Darwin. That's not God. Paul's going to tell us, when I'm weak, I'm strong. But we have to know what he means by that. When the brain lacks nutrients, I did a little research on this. turns out that when your body will do everything that it can to preserve the brain while you're starving. But then <clears throat> if you continue starving, the brain will eat itself. The brain metabolizes its own neurons and it actually shrinks. When the brain lacks nutrients, there is difficulty with attention and concentration. There is an increased emotion. There is impaired judgment, impaired insight, and impaired impulse control. In other words, it's hard for me to control my impulses. So you know this when you're hangry, when you're hungry and you're angry. There's some people in my life who have that as a, a medical condition. They live with me. Not saying who they are. But I have learned over the years to monitor. I don't even need like a glucose monitor that's on them all the time. I know. As soon as I feel it, I can feel it in the air. I'm like, do you need some lunch? Yeah, yeah I'm getting good at it. I will get them lunch. I will do anything to get them lunch. <laughs> now, they're wonderful. But it's true. It, it, what happens to your emotional state when you're hungry? Your ability to concentrate. Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. Do you think just, well, he's a perfect man, that's true, which says to me that is probably the reason why he could last 40 days. But is he not weak? I think he very much is, very much. But yet he knows God's word. He does not have to be at his optimum best mentally and physically to defeat this one who opposes God. Human strength is not in my material health. Human strength is breathing divine thought. And I say breathing because the spirit, our spirit, the word pneuma means breathe. We inhale the word of God. We exhale the word of God. And what we mean here by word of God is also, it's not just knowledge. I'm going to share something with you coming up that, that shows how... Christians have a tendency to trend, and I mean in good ways. They have a tendency to trend more academically or trend more emotionally or trend more work-oriented or trend more be-alone-private-with-God-oriented. And <clears throat> if you overly trend in one of these areas, um, you miss out on the other areas. In fact, we need them all. And so with the Word of God, we learn how to experience God, which is more of a, you want to say, heart. Uh, but we also experience, we, from the Word of God, we learn how to work. We learn how to not work and be alone, like in prayer and in study and contemplation. We also learn how to, you know, really metabolize God's Word so that we know it. But you can be an academic. Like a, and, and be a, like a spiritual rationalist. And then you don't actually do anything, but you've got gobs of doctrine in your head. You don't actually love anybody, but you know all about it. You know, that kind of thing. And so that's where strength comes from. And I would say that if you had that strength, you would also desire greatly, because you have, we have to use our bodies to glorify God. There's no way around that. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Paul says they're bodies. This God, I, this vessel is yours. In Romans 6, we're to master it. Uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and that's over your body, and also over your mind. And, <clears throat> and therefore, if you, if you have this divine thought breathing through you, you want to take care of your body as best that you can so it can be used for God's glory. Jesus was weakened physically. He had a harder time concentrating, paying attention. 
was more emotional and had judgment impaired, it was harder for him to control his impulses than it was 40 days ago. I'm not saying he couldn't control them because he obviously does. But it was harder for him to do so than it was 40 days ago. Yet still he is able to defeat the ruler of the world because life is not in the material. It's in the flow of divine thought. <clears throat> so, i got to drink a water before I read this. Because of our study, I started reading screw tape letters again. I, I bought this wonderfully illustrated copy. Every page is a, a little illustration of either screw tape or wormwood. <coughs> so, it, you know, every letter in this, this is wormwood, who's a high-ranking demon, who's writing to a lower-ranking demon who has been assigned to this guy. Uh, to make sure he doesn't become a Christian and doesn't become, in, in other words, to make sure that this guy ends up in hell. And this, of course, is all allegory by C.S. Lewis. So Screwtape says this, <clears throat> or writes this. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, of course, the enemy being God, the enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years' work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of, part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time that he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made the counter-suggestion, you know how one can never quite overhear what he says to them, <clears throat> that this was more important than lunch. At least I think that must have been his line, for when I said quite, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of a morning, the patient brightened up considerably, and by the time I had added, much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind. He was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the streets, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and the number 73 bus going past. And before he had gone very far, I had got into him the unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might have come into the man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all sort <clears throat> show him all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He knew he'd had, he knew he'd had a narrow escape and in later years was fond of talking about that inarticulate sense of actuality which is our ultimate safeguard against the aberrations of mere logic. He is now safe in our father's house. Uh, <clears throat> what what Screwtape is saying here is that this man had a thought that was going to lead him towards God, and he suggested lunch. And by the time he said, you know, lunch, God said, you know, this is more important than lunch. Why don't you wait a little bit? The man said, you know, the demon says, no, 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 don't wait too long. You want to come back at this on a full stomach. It's too important to wait till, you know, wait, not wait till after lunch, but to have lunch. So anyway, by the time the guy gets onto the street and sees all the things around him, he's completely forgotten about it. And this uh, brilliant work by C.S. Lewis shows us the, well, of course, it's where he got it from, is from the scripture, is that there's trickery and deception. And both words are used of the schemes of the devil. Deception by trickery. And the Bible tells us that the ones who fall for it are often the ones who are unsuspecting unsuspecting. Now, what does that mean to us? That means we've got to be ready. And so the, the alternate word to unsuspecting is being alert. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm looking for Satan around every corner, but what it means is, is that I have in my heart constantly the desire to have divine thinking. And when I start to see something in my heart that is not, my soul, mind, heart, that is not of divine thinking, I say, hold on and wait a minute. Where is this coming from? 
and how do I get rid of it? Because you're playing with dangerous things there if you play with it. So let's look at human weakness. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.40. Excuse me. Is weakness sin? No. Weakness can lead to sin, and weakness always comes from sin. When I sin, I'm going to be in a weaker state than than before I sinned. Thanks be to the grace of God that I can confess, repent, and stop whatever pattern of sin that I am on and recover. And I, we, we all believe here, by the grace of God, it's a full recovery. Um, God is not keeping a ledger of your sins. That is a fact. According to Colossians chapter 2, the whole ledger that contained all your sins was nailed to the cross. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 15.40. All right, so let's determine from this who's weak amongst us. And I mean not just us here, but all over. 15.40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Right? This is just stated as a fact that everybody can agree to. The things, bodies in the, in the heavens, are bright, some are brighter than others. And certainly the things in the heavens have a different brightness than things on the earth. So he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And therein is your resurrection, your resurrection and mine, that we glory in. And so the earthly glory is this body, or the one that I was born into the world with. And the heavenly glory is my resurrection body. Now notice where the word weakness is. It is sown in weakness, which is parallel with it is sown perishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is sown in weakness, it is sown natural. And sown here means that like a seed. When we all die, we all go into the ground, to the earth, where from we where we came. And so who is weak among us? Everybody. Love it. David writes, I think it's in Psalm, I always mix them up, but it's either Psalm 51 or 55. I think it's 55. What can mere man do to me? Jesus says it in Luke 12. Don't be afraid of any man. Don't be afraid of him who can kill your body but cannot do anything to your soul. All mankind are weak. Every one of us are. And that's good news, by the way. Now go back to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. So all of us are weak. I I picked this picture on purpose. I liked all the flags because some uh, think that their cultures are better than others. Well, certainly we would judge some cultures to be of a better quality than others. But what about the people within the culture of whatever race, and now racism is a huge thing now. It's being used as a, as a means to divide the human race. Um, you know, is there any race that's better than another? Nope. There are good people of all races. There are bad people of all races. <clears throat> so Jesus comes to heal us. So in Matthew 8.16, in Matthew 8, we're going to see how Jesus displays his authority over all things. And here, he dis- and by doing his miracles, by doing his miracles, Jesus displays his authority over everything. And here, he's showing his authority over our diseases and our weakness. <clears throat> 8.16, when evening came, they brought him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities 
This is, this is the word weakness. It's the same word weakness that we just saw. And carried away our diseases. Now, he's, Isaiah the prophet writes this where? In Isaiah 53. And here it is on the board, Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Notice how in Greek that the, there's a slightly different nuance to the words. But this is part of the word of God. And it's one of those things that cause theologians a bit of angst. Uh, not me. It doesn't matter to me if it's in the word of God. I love it. Uh, but <clears throat> the fact that the Hebrew and the Greek have slightly different words. Instead of weakness, we have grief. And instead of diseases, we have sorrows. Is that a big problem for you? Because it's not for me. You know what is really at at uh, what is really the object here of Christ's work in overcoming? It's not that none of us ever get sick, because we are all going to get sick. It's that we from that sickness with the Word of God we overcome. From that infirmity we overcome. From this weakness that I inherit and I will never be able to undo, I overcome, but not alone. Actually, not me at all. But I have to be a part of it. So we start to see here, where is weakness in man? And certainly it's physical, but, you know, compared to who? Some of us are stronger than others. Compared to God, all of us are the biggest wimps ever, right? Like, if we, compared to the the weakest angel there's nothing we can do against that mentally in terms of just raw knowledge satan has the whole bible memorized he's got a lot more bible in his head than than anybody does but he knows nothing of it and that's where you and i beat him he doesn't know it he can't see just having the word of god in your head I mean, you need it there, but without knowledge of understanding and application, and you don't really know it because the words of God come together to make ideas that are of a real divine, eternal nature. They existed before God wrote them down on a page. So, what is the result? If we're going to be healed by Christ, and we are... What is the result of our weakness being healed by him? Some think that I actually, I'm healed by Christ because I'm a born-again believer and now I become strong, right? When I'm weak, I'm strong. That's what Paul said. And so I win every argument. I overcome every challenge. I get every promotion. I earn every success. I overcome all diseases. I never get sick. I'm too spiritual for cancer. And that's more of a prosperity gospel, isn't it? It's very popular. But what they've erred in there, the mistake they've made, is that they thought that strength goes back to human material strength. And it never was that. Even in the Garden of Eden in perfect bodies, it wasn't that. That wasn't their strength. Isn't that amazing? Eve is deceived and tricked by the serpent. She's perfect. But she neglects something that makes her weak. Well, she already is weak. If she can actually neglect the word of God and the promise of God and the command of God, then she's already a weak person. So her perfect body and perfect mind, that was not the source of her strength, nor Adam's. The source of their strength was God himself, but not like some physical connection to God. It was his word. It was the essence of God that, that is the eternal, boundless, it's what he is. It's hard to describe, <laughs> but it's, that's where his strength is. And that's why you and I don't have to be transformed into some miraculous physical creature we can be in the same old rotten body 
and have the strength of God because strength comes through thought, thinking, belief, and trust, and obedience, all of which are invisible qualities. So Paul says, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Now again, why are we doing this today is because Jesus is hungry. And here we, Second Corinthians 12, you and I can say, yeah, you know, I failed that test. I, I know, but I was tired. And, you know, any one of us would say, oh, okay, I get it. I didn't, I didn't get hardly any sleep last night, so I was cranky. That's why I lost my, I just lost it on you. And I'm blaming my, I, you know, I didn't eat. I, I skipped lunch. And, uh, yeah, that's why I failed so bad. Nope. I mean, we all understand, and we're all, hopefully we're all gracious and forgiving of one another, and, yeah, I've done the same thing. But is that the real reason why you failed? Or as I like, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about, um, to get back at him, he talks about, uh, you know, I wasn't ready. He has a whole chapter on this. Well, you caught me off guard. And I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for what you said. And C.S. Lewis says, well, that just shows exactly who you are because you didn't have time to put a mask on. You didn't have time to get into character. So we likened it to when you walk down in the basement and you throw the lights on quick and all the rats are like, eee! and then they run. But if you go down making all sorts of noise, they hide before you turn the light on. <coughs> He's so cool. And he said, so there's rats in your mind. And when you don't have time to hide them, you're revealing who you really are. And it's okay to know that. It's actually a good thing. So when I'm weak, I'm strong. Second Corinthians 12:10, where this comes from, he says, "Therefore I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong." So we have to define this. Because at face value, if I were to take this as a proof text, a proof text is I take one text and I build an entire doctrine out of it. I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to surround myself with rotten people. And then I'll be strong. And which you could try that, but, you know, the, 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 we need to see it in context. Uh, none of us should purposely try to test ourselves, even with people. But it's how you respond to those rotten people that are really going to make you strong. But even in that, you're not strong from doing that. You have to be strong before you deal with people. So we need a context. So we have to go all the way back to chapter 11. And we'll do this quickly. We just want to get a feel for the context. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1, and we're going to build our way all the way back here. Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me. Now, this is a long letter, this Corinthians letter. And, um, but this section, this section has in itself kind of starts here. So we're not going to miss. We don't have to go through the whole letter to get the gist. He says, I, again, I wish that you would bear with me in a, in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So I betrothed you means you married him. Jesus is your husband. And you have gone astray, which is adultery against him. And notice that they had a little help in this. The devil, just like he deceived Eve, came at them with two things. <clears throat> he draws our devotion away. Satan here is trying to devour, uh, draw our devotion away. Notice the devotion is simple and pure. Pure means I don't mix it with anything else. It comes from my understanding of God's word. And simple means that I don't overcomplicate it. There's too much overcomplicating going on. 
It's just simple. It's sim- what, what the Word of God says, who God is, who I am, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And, you know, by the Spirit and the Word, to truly enjoy the presence of God in my life, it's, it's not overly complex. But Satan would love to complexicate it for you. Not a word, but I like that one. And how he does it is deceit and craftiness. And they're both labeled wisdom, human wisdom. And boy, are they. I mean, it's a mess out there with ideologies and philosophies. It's a wonderful thing to see how, uh, and it's continuing on a a different, it's not so much a different path, but the, the West this includes like France and England, Germany, Western Europe, and the United States. Europe's going faster at it than we are. And that is this movement away from values. I don't say Christianity, but that's happening too. But the values that Christianity gave to the Western world, and they're all moving away from it. And same here in America. I think, well, it's going to be fine. You know, all that old stuff, we're smarter than that. And it's causing incredible disaster. And yet, the ones who purport it are calling it wisdom. It actually comes from the universities. But anyway, God's in control. Deceit and craftiness. Both words are also used by Paul in 1 Corinthians to to describe the wisdom of men. The wisdom of men. It says that God calls it foolish and useless. And what is it? It's deceiving and it's crafty. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Deceit and crafty. All right. So as Paul continues to uh, go, we need our context here. That's what we're building. In Corinth, Paul was weak. When he got there, he was weak. He came... From Athens to Corinth, and he was completely rejected in Athens. The gospel was rejected there. The Athenians were far too smart. They didn't talk like that. You know, with their pipes in their mouth and their tweed jackets, which they didn't wear those either. But, you know, they're, <laughs> they're too smart for it. As soon as Paul, is it Acts 17? As soon as Paul mentions resurrection, they're like, <laughs> resurrection. There's no such thing as that, Paul. Come back later and maybe we'll listen to you. That's exactly what they said. Paul is dejected when he came to Corinth. He was low. Low, low place in his life. God appeared to him in Corinth. He said, Paul, don't give up. We've got a lot of people here. It's wonderful there to see in Acts how God makes a special trip to Paul to say, Paul, don't despair. I've got people here. Do your thing. In Corinth these weeks, so look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11.9. He reminds them of this in 11.9. When I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. I was in need. And he shows here his weakness. First Corinthians, he talks about it too, that he came to them in weakness and in fear. And then in, look at verse 10, he says that he boasted, as I have on the board, he boasts about Christ. He came in weakness. Now look, this is just like Christ in the wilderness and it's just like what we're to do. He says in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. And Achaia is this region in around Corinth. And that, that little isthmus there and around Corinth. That's Achaia. And he's spreading the gospel there. Now look, he's in need, he's weak, but he says, I boast about the truth of Christ. So, Paul is weak, but he's also strong. You see it? He's weak physically, mentally, he's exhausted, he's dejected. But when he gets there, he depends upon God and says, I have to preach the gospel. And he does it with both. And boasting means he glories in it. And so he's weak and strong. Now, when he does this, he's opposed. You know, and here it comes. I'm tired. 
I'm exhausted, I'm doing God's will, and now what? Now people come and say, shut up, stupid, or, you know, I also know Christ, and Paul's wrong. And then, you know, let's, let's beat him to a pulp. Like, it, it, everything comes against him. So look at verse 12. But what I am doing I will continue to do, meaning boast about Christ, so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about what they are boasting. It's a roundabout way of saying others are boasting about Christ and saying they're apostles too. He said, I'll keep boasting in Christ to cut off opportunity for them. I am not going to stop. Because if I stop, the false teachers are going to come in and boast about Christ in a false way. For such men, in verse 13, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if these servants, if his servants, sorry, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. They will be judged. Don't worry about them, but they do their father's bidding. Satan is what? Portraying himself or disguising himself as an angel of light, which gets back to what he does, deceit and craftiness. Right? It's false. It's false. All right. But Paul keeps boasting. So then what happens? Continuing in our context, go down to verse 23. He's now talking. Now he's going to write about the false teachers. They actually apparently said they were Jews. And Paul's going to say, I think it's in verse 21, where he says he's, he's a Jew and he's from Israel. But where we want to get, look at verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Do you think he's emphasizing the word danger? He doesn't have to keep writing it over and over. He could just make a list. But he wants to purposely rewrite the word danger over and over. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? In other words, do I understand weakness? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This word intense concern is the Greek word for burning. I burn. When others are led into sin, I burn. In other words, I am so concerned. Paul had a mission that he completed in the face of all of this. So we might say Paul was strong. Not weak, but he's not. But I mean, he is. <laughs> he is and he's not, which we'll see in a second. Can we imagine how many times he was tempted to quit? Can we imagine how many times he said, that this cost is too high? I mean, after my, after my fifth whipping in a synagogue, I'm not going back to another. My third one, my second one, I have... You know, after my first whipping in a synagogue, I'm like, the hell with you Jews. <laughs> but he's got a calling, and he's going to do it. Where does he get the strength? That's what he tells us next. And it's part to do with this. You see, in all of this that we just read, could he stop the whippings? You know, if it's one of those movies with, like, you know, uh, Vin Diesel or Dwayne Johnson, he's going to grab that whip and, like, punch the guy in the head and then punch this guy and he's going to beat up the whole synagogue. 
and we're all going to cheer. But Paul, like Christ, took it. And, it, and you're right, he could have stopped it because he's a Roman citizen. They, if all he had to do was mention it, and they would have been like, oh, no. Which ha- it happened. It happened when he was roughed up by the, by the Roman officials in Jerusalem. So he says now in verse 30, now he's really going to highlight his weakness. If I have to boast, I will boast in what pertains to my weakness. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in what pertains to my weakness. And what we see here in the context then is that Paul in this boasting or glorying, is another word for it, is that he is boasting in the fact that he can't do any of this. So he's, Because you see the word boast here in this chapter is used like 12 times. It's really a central player here in this, this message. And this glorying, he said, I glory in Christ. There's others who are glorying in Christ with false doctrine. But I glory in the truth of Christ. I, I boast of it. But I also boast of something else. That I can't do any of it. And so the two go hand in hand. If I'm boasting in Christ and me, the one who's telling you and proclaiming to you the power of Christ, please know that what you see in me is also the power of Christ, not me. I, I agree by faith and trust and obedience with Christ and I do His will. That's why I am able. That's where my energy comes from. That's where my endurance comes from. I couldn't tell you remotely how he does it, but I know what I must do. And it ain't part of anything that comes from me in terms of human strength. Jesus is weak in the wilderness. Forty days without food, he's weakened. He has no one there. There's nobody with him. We forget he's alone for 40 days. But, um, is he weak in every way? He is not. So on top of the suffering that came Paul's way because of his boasting in Christ, false teachers attacked him. The synagogues, the beatings, the stranding at sea, the you know he's all the suffering that we just read. God gives him another suffering on top of that, and this so that he would not exalt himself. And this is a famous thorn in the flesh. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, it's buffet or torment. means to punch. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times. Tomorrow we're going to see that you definitely have to have a prayer life and trial time. Which, by the way, is every day. There's always some trials, I think, every day. But I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, he uses a perfect uh, tense here, which the perfect means that God said it to him before. But it also means that God is continuing to say it to him now. That's what a, a perfect means. It happened in the past and it is continuing to happen in the present. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness. That's what he said in 1130. I boast of my weakness. I will rather boast or glory about my weakness so that the power of Christ now, this phrase, dwell in me, is very poorly translated. That's what I have in my New American Standard. But the Greek verb is to spread a tent over, and the preposition is on. It's epi, it's on. So this phrase means the power of Christ may spread like a tent on me. And you have to have that because Paul jumps here when he speaks of this power he uses imagery. He's really using a poetic phrase. And when a writer does that, and the Holy Spirit inspires him to do that, 
they, he wants us, they want us to see this image and to really take it into our hearts. And then what I want you to just, you know, interpret that and, and you know, absorb that any way that you want. The power of Christ is like a tent on top of you. So, who's weak? I mean, we can see now what weakness is, as we've seen this chapter in context. Weakness is mankind. It's really simple. Actually, a little more simpler, simpler than we usually imagine. That weakness is humanity. I'm weak. So, who are all these people that are so <laughs> proud? Is it because they're strong, because they're rich, because they're this, because they're that? It's those who do not think they're weak that err. That's the, I found that little guy there. It's a super me. He's got me written on his chest, super, super me. It's those who think they're not weak, those are the ones who... Air, fall into sin and cause trouble, their pride. I mean, it doesn't matter how much, what, what your education is. Maybe you're, you're a little bit smarter than most. Maybe you're a little bit more uh, physically, physical prowess than most, I would say, for any younger people. Uh, maybe you're better looking than most. Maybe you have a better, um, maybe you're raised better. I'm reading Pride and Prejudice right now. I, I wanted to read a classic, and I hadn't read this book, so I picked it up, and I'm, and I just love it. It is like the funnest soap opera, but it is hard to read. It, the uh, Jane Austen writing in 18 something, man. Wow, I have to look up a word every page, but oh, I love it. I just love it. But they, she, she does a marvelous job in depicting classes in that, you know, Victorian era England where your breeding and how much money you have and, you know, who you marry and all of that. That's what makes you strong and desirable. And the girl Elizabeth in the story sees all through that, but then gets herself in trouble because she was prejudiced, you know towards somebody. It's a wonderful depiction of the human soul in amazing language. But, um, you know, everybody's weak. You need to, you know this. I'm sure you already know it, but just remember it. You're weak. So, <clears throat> he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God says power is perfected in weakness. Did he say, now the preposition is en, in, the Greek en is in, en. He didn't say that power is, perfected means matured. He didn't say that power was matured by weakness. Because someone read, people read into this, they say, well, there you go. All I got to do is be weak. So I live a sinful life as a weak person. I give in to all my desires and my lusts like a weak person, and God pours his power into me. Good luck. I'll see you later when you are so miserable and your skin is pale and your eyes are bloodshot. Well, at least that's that's where I went. (laughs) That's the gutter I went into. And I'm like, God, in my gutter, where is my strength? There's no strength down there, stupid. The strength is with me. And you cannot walk with me and disobey me at the same time. Wow, that's pretty smart, God. What didn't I think of that? I mean, how many times in his word does he say it? Over and over. And all of us are going to learn the hard way anyway. But it's not... Power is matured by weakness. Its power is matured in the state of weakness. I know I'm weak. 
It is the understanding that I have not the ability to do anything good. And I know that that gives me joy because I'm not even going to try on my own. And so, and there goes the other camp, right? The pendulum swings from I'm going to live in the gutter and wait for God's strength. It never showed. And then it goes the other way where, um, you know, I can't do anything good. So I'm going to sit on my hands and wait for God to force me to do something good. I'm not going to live in the gutter. I'm going to be moral and nice and kind and all of that. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'll wait. You know, I can't do anything. So I don't do anything. That ain't it either. I think it's wonderful how God gives us all of these parameters. And then he says to us, figure it out. Through my word, figure it out. Figure out what you are supposed to do. <clears throat> I can't do anything, but I must do everything that he tells me to do. How do, I, how do I make that work? God's word, I'm going to take this and I'm going to follow it. You see, this, and, and there I have the perfect solution because this isn't from me. This is his. And I'm going to follow this. And it's exact. Wait, wait. It's exactly what Jesus did, right? What did he do in the wilderness when Satan tempted him? When he was at his weakest, I'm going to give you Satan the word of God. And I understand the word of God, and I trust the word of God. I apply the word of God. It's not just academic; it's absolutely doing. So I'm weak, but I trust God. I rely on God, and I know what I cannot do, and I know what I must do, and I know that if to succeed in it, he is the one through his word and his spirit that I can do, and so I must do. And therefore, I am weak, but I am strong. So, why do I glory in my weakness? Think of all the heartache this saves me. I don't, I don't have to, I don't do this. I follow his will. I don't figure this out. I follow his will. I'm not tempted by human strength because I know it don't exist. I'm not smart. He is. I'm not strong. He is. And God has made it so that the new humanity through Christ would exist on this earth before they got to heaven. See, he added a step that the Jews never figured out. I would say he added it before he started everything. It wasn't added in history, but... The Messiah was to suffer and then reign, and they lost the suffering part. They, they read the suffering scriptures, but they said, well, that's Israel. Israel suffered, and that wasn't it. He had to suffer, and because they rejected him, he put off the kingdom, and then he did add, well, it's not added, but it was something that he never told anybody ever about, and that was the church age. And it's called a mystery. It's a mystery, but it's a part of the kingdom. No kingdom on earth, but we are members of a new humanity that are in Christ, that are indwelt by God, who are the temple of the living God, who are righteous, holy, predestined, all our sins forgiven. And we have within us the ability to comprehend the entire word of God. And that thing's finished. Nothing else is to be added to it. And so we can learn, we know all of this and can learn as much as we can. And then live a life, a heavenly life on earth before we get to heaven. See, the Jews had it that the Christ returns and then eternity starts. And in fact, that will happen. They weren't wrong, but they missed a part. And because they missed that part and rejected Christ, now we have the church. So, result of knowing my weakness and having faith, trust, and obedience is strength of the divine type, not the human type. I'm not weak, and then God gives me the human strength back, well, that no one ever had. <laughs> I mean, really, not even in the garden did they really have it. They were stronger than us being perfect, but you know, the fact that they would eat from the tree shows how weak that they were. 
their strength came from God, from his word, from obedience to his word, just like it does to us. But now we have, uh, we'll see this also tomorrow, we can't forget, we're new creatures by the baptism of the Spirit. And so because of that, we have this strength in spades if we want it. But we must understand that we ourselves are weak. So I I didn't actually have time here to get to the whole weakness, insults, distress, persecutions, difficulties. We'll we'll tack it on in some lesson coming up in the next few days. But um, yeah, I'm not going to say a word about that because I'm out of time. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for all things that you've done for us through Christ our Lord. Thank you that we are understanding by your word that we can do nothing, that we ourselves alone are weak, but you are strong. We follow your will, obey your commands, trust you, experience you. We will find strength to do what you would have us do. A life exceeding abundantly beyond anything anyone could ever have asked for or thought of. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name, amen.